Those of you that know me must be thinking of the impossibility of what is happening here. But if I could say anything, if you don't know a definition of grace, you're looking at God's grace, in my life anyway. Well, I want to bring greetings from Marco Presbyterian uh, Church, another PCA sister church, as Chris mentioned. Weather's getting a little cooler there in the low 80s or so. We invite you to come back. Also, greetings from two weeks ago. My wife and I were in Bangkok, Thailand, and we decided to walk to the only church that we could walk to right outside of our hotel. And in God's providence, the name of that church was First Presbyterian Church, the very first Protestant church in Thailand started in 1849 and it touched my soul to know that it was from a physician who had also been called into ministry. Well, uh, Chris mentioned my movement from medicine to ministry and uh, maybe at another time I can tell the broader story, but the short story is about 10 years ago I felt the call into ministry. But being the, uh, well, let's just be honest, the prideful person that I was, That didn't seem very wise. I was at the peak of my career in medicine. Why would I go into ministry? And why at this age? I'm quite an elderly man, as you can see. Not You're allowed to laugh. That was a little bit of a joke. God called for ten years. For five years, I resisted it. For five years, I'm ashamed to say. Uh, And I often say, let my life serve as a warning to others. When God really gets a hold of you, he will rock your world. (laughs) Well, I decided to write this particular sermon after hearing John MacArthur uh, preach on it, and uh, I I thought I could do better. (laughs) Not not really. (laughs) Not really. But I am indebted to him for some of the ideas that I want to further develop in, in preaching this passage. And I'm, I'm very cognizant before we read the passage that every preacher is, is tempted to tell people what they want to hear rather than what God wants us to hear. And it takes a great deal of courage to risk the criticism that inevitably comes when you faithfully preach God's word. But it is that important. So this morning, I want us to look to Scripture to develop a biblical view of what Rabbi Jesus demands of those who would enter his kingdom. Jesus' words, as you'll see, upset many, but I will preach them as clearly as I can. And in doing so, I have two goals. One is to describe false religion, and the other is to characterize true religion. So we're going to start our journey this morning by reading a passage from the Greek scriptures that you'll recognize, Matthew 7, 13 to 27. So if you're able, would you uh, please stand and hear God's word to us? Matthew 7, this is verses 13 to 27. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. 
Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. May God see fit to write the truth of his holy word on our hearts. Please sit for my words as we go to Christ in prayer. Dear Lord, help me, Lord, help, help us as we examine this passage in it, you tell us exactly what must be for us to enter into your kingdom. But we reject it. We think we can interpret your words to suit our comfort. They, they scare us, Lord, for we know deep inside we can't do them. Lord, help me to speak the words you want your people to hear. For it is in the life-saving gospel of your Son, Jesus the Christ, that we trust and have our hope now and forevermore. Amen. Well, you and I live in an upside-down world we do not understand. We live in Babylon, in the midst of a culture and people of unclean lips who tell us lies. Many of them are lives we want to believe. And even when told the truth, we can't bear to give these lives up, lies up. We don't want to give up our notions of what is truth, at least in comparison to what Jesus says truth is. Lies such as these, all roads lead to God. Well, in a sense they do. They lead to His judgment throne, don't they? We are captains of our own destiny. Life should be fair. Or we are basically good and that God is merciful and he'll let us all into heaven with him. That being a good person is good enough to get into heaven. That if you're religious, you'll get in. Or if you serve the church and give money, it will please God and he'll let us into heaven with him. These are lies, all of them. So let's ask the question, are you going to heaven? And if so, how are you getting there? 
You see, there are millions, hundreds of millions, maybe billions of people who think they are, but who aren't. You won't get in because you belong to a church. What if you work hard and serve the church? No. What if you're a deacon or an elder or even a pastor? No. How about if you're baptized? Well, Pastor Chris already told us that. No. If you give a large amount of money to church and ministry? No. If your parents were Christians? No. If you're a missionary? No. How about if you keep all the commandments perfectly? No, because no liars are allowed. (laughs) The problem is that we are self-righteous. So we think we're good enough. But that, too, is a lie. Proverbs 30.12 says, There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. In Romans 10.2, Paul talks about those who actually have zeal for God, but have no real knowledge of Him. They're not going to make it either. And so in our text this morning... Jesus is instructing us on the road to heaven and what that might look like. Now, we're going to go verse by verse here. Context, as in all of Scripture, is important. This is primarily narrative and, con- and concludes the verses of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been teaching what those who would follow Him are like. And He's concluding now in Matthew 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. It's easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it, he says, are are many. In the Greek, it means many. (laughs) For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Why is this gate so narrow? Why is it described as narrow? Well, it's narrow because it goes through one and only one person, and that's Jesus. No other way is possible. No Jesus, no heaven, period. The other choice is the wide gate, the one with the remarkably easy road. That's the road most people are on. It's it's crowded. It's fun. Nothing much is demanded of you. Everyone around you approves. But that's why it's called the easy way. It's easy. No change is needed. The irony, of course, is that it soon becomes the very hard road. Irreversibly and eternally hard with no way out. It leads to only one place. Destruction. Meaning hell. And hell, by the way, is not annihilation. Take no comfort in the fact that I'd be annihilated and don't have to worry about anything. It it is destruction, but destruction of everything that those who don't follow Jesus depended on. Their money, their influence, their friends. By contrast, the road that we as brothers and sisters are on starts out hard. There's no denying it. It's a hard road, but it leads to life, eternal life, and it becomes easy. And Jesus says this remarkable truth, and there are few who find it. That ought to give us pause. Many, many people are going to be genuinely surprised and shocked on that day of the Lord. 
Well, just how narrow is this gate that leads to life? Turns out it's very, very narrow. It's so narrow you can't sort of squeeze your way through it. It's narrow, tight, and and very costly. Luke explains it this way in chapter 13 and verses 23 to 27. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive. Remember that verb. We're going to come back to that later. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Now notice what Jesus just said. These are people who seek to enter. They they want to be with Jesus, at least at one level, but they want Him on their terms, not on His. And they won't make it. Listen as Luke goes on. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, but we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Notice they are shocked. They thought surely they were in. They had a familiarity with Jesus. Jesus doesn't mince words for these self-righteous people. In fact, he calls them workers of evil. And so with everyone who rejects his command to follow me. Matthew eleven twelve says that the kingdom of heaven suffers violent opposition and forceful men lay hold of it. While there's been some controversy over that verse, Jesus is saying here that there is no half-hearted conviction about heaven. In a sense, by, by violence you must enter it. And he means here the violence of giving up self, of killing our sin, our, our pride, and of submitting our will to Him. One important point, by the way, You can only get through the narrow gate by yourself. You can't go in with others. You can't bring somebody with you. You can't bring anything you own. In fact, you you can't bring a single thing with you. Oh, Oh, except for one thing. Your cross. Bring your cross. You're going to need it. Going on to Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets, he says who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered by from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He means the eternal fire, and you will recognize them. By their fruits. So, how do we know which road, which gate to choose? Well, for starters, I think we have to recognize we come with a sinful nature that rebels against Christ. All of us. And we take direction not from God's word, but often from the false prophets. And who are they? Well, 
the false prophets, and let me be clear, are the prosperity preachers, the celebrities, the cultural elite, the churches and organizations who appeal to your sinful nature. They don't call it that, of course. They might use words like social justice or progressive or appeal to human reason over God's reason. And that's why Christ calls them false prophets. They're dressed in wool, he says. Why, why would that be? Well, the prophets of old wore an outer wool garment. In this case, with false prophets, it's, it's a camouflage. So you don't recognize that they're wolves who mean to devour you. And guess where they point? To the wide, easy road. So how can you tell who's the shepherd and who's the wolf? Jesus tells us, by their fruit. Are they self-serving or are they suffering servants? Are they sayers or doers of the word? You have to be wise. And where does wisdom come from? His word and his word alone. On to verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, he says, many will say to me, and listen to what he says, Lord, Lord, they repeat it twice. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. Now, this is really remarkable. Don't be fooled here. Those doomed to destruction say, it comes out of their mouth, Lord, Lord. They call him piously Lord twice for emphasis. And, it, and notice in verse 22, they even do miraculous things. They prophesy, they cast out demons. They do mighty works. And yet Jesus will say to them those terrible words, I never knew you. Depart from me. This is the, the key that unlocks the hinge here. Jesus is characterizing and defining two types of religion. False religion and true religion. So what is false religion? It's trusting in you and your works. It's trusting in anything but Jesus. What John MacArthur calls trusting in human achievement instead of divine accomplishment. That's where I was ten years ago. So this, this touches me. What about true religion? Well, that one's actually pretty easy. It's everything in this love letter to us. Everything. By the way, let us not dismiss this point lightly. Later in Matthew chapter 25 and verses 31 to 46, we read about the final judgment. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. Those on his right, he will say, Come, you who are blessed, inherit the kingdom. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, 
When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink or welcome you or clothed you? And when did we see you sick in prison and visit you? They were surprised. They were just doing what total belief in Christ leads one, compels one to do. And he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. But they'll also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not minister to you? And these will go away, he says, into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Well, there's a lesson here. Be a sheep, not a goat to begin with. And notice both groups were surprised. Both of them were surprised. That really caught me as I studied this passage. But the self-righteous goats were genuinely surprised, comfortable in their own wisdom, just as many goats will be shocked on that day of the Lord. On now to verse 24. This is the concluding verse of the Sermon on the Mount, and it ends with, in this case, a parable. Jesus is teaching in effect that you and I are going to have to choose which gate, which road, him or man's approval, him or religion made in man's image. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who's built his house on the sand. This is an easier sermon illustration down on Marco Island than here. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. Jesus has warned us. We've heard his words. We've read his words. We know what he demands of those who are his. Will we be wise men building our lives on the rock of ages or on the shifting sand of man's approval? Many of us are old enough now to know that the rains and the wind will come. And those who build their house, their lives on anything but Christ will have their lives fall apart. And Jesus says, in fact, and great will be that fall. Well, then what does building on the rock look like? Who are his true disciples and how do they build their lives? Well, the disciple is hungry for God's word. The doomed would rather be entertained. They have no appetite for God's word. The disciple is out ministering to the least of these. The doomed man spends all his time Shopping, vacationing, pursuing entertainment, anything other than sacrifice, even a moment of comfort. The disciple tells everyone about Jesus and how he changed their life. They can't help it. The doomed? Well, it's too embarrassing to talk about King Jesus. Someone might think poorly of them. Or how about this one I hear all the time? It's, it's not my gift or my calling. They're probably right. They're on the easy way. The disciple carries a cross. 
ready, indeed expecting one day to lie down on it and accept the nails driven into our hands and feet. The doomed man runs from it. Notice very carefully here the contrast in our sermon text. Jesus is carefully defining for His hearers and for us what true religion is and how to enter His kingdom. The contrast to me couldn't be greater or more clear. Two gates, the wide and the narrow. Two ways, the broad and the narrow. Two outcomes for our lives, life and destruction. Two groups of people, good and corrupt. Two trees, good and bad. Two types of of fruit, good and bad. Two behaviors, those who say and those who do. Two builders, wise and foolish. Two foundations, rock and sand. Two houses, one that stands and one that falls. But notice what isn't there. No number three. No middle ground. No third option. It is a tale of two. Two choices and only two. No no safe middle road here. No comfortable compromise. And that's why Jesus is saying many will not make it. I think we will know soon enough. The ones with superficial faith that was never real, they're the ones who will flee once it costs something to sit here in this church. Maybe something like the threat of arrest, who we won't ever see again when the persecution starts, who won't speak up against injustice if it costs them anything. Or maybe who, like the rich young ruler, trusts more in their wealth or themselves than in Christ. Who never told anyone about King Jesus. Who are more concerned with what other people and the crowds think than with what Jesus thinks. Who say they love Jesus, but they never really had the desire to open His love letter to them. Who want comfort and not suffering for His sake. Who run from the cross Jesus' hands to them, singing, Here I am, but send someone else. I know this is hard teaching, and I I know I'm delivering it without sugarcoating it. But these are Christ's words, not mine. And they cannot be compromised. And I feel accountable to proclaim them as clearly and as authentically as I'm enabled. When we accept the lie that following Jesus costs nothing, only to find out that it costs everything, many will indeed fall away. All of us want something less taxing, something where we can stay in our comfort zone, something where no suffering will be asked of us. But that's, that's wrong. That's why after some hard teaching to His disciples, Jesus turned to them. And John records this conversation for us in chapter 6. After this teaching, many of His disciples turned back. These were people who had spent time with Him and no longer walked with Him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You, you alone have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know 
that you are the Holy One of God. And yet many do indeed turn and go away. Will you? Even though He and He alone has the words of eternal life, Paul says in Philippians 3, and the Scripture adds with tears in his eyes, that many walk as enemies of God because their minds are set on earthly things. Those who are gods are citizens of heaven, he says, and their minds are set on the things of God. Brothers and sisters, parents, grandparents, these are among the most important words you will ever hear and consider. Most important thing you'll consider. Which road? Which gate? How does Christ's words change each of us? And what shall we do? Are we really prepared to suffer? Could we, like those first Protestants in a Buddhist country in Thailand, walk into these doors with people spitting on us and throwing rotted fruit on us? Are we prepared to suffer, to be hated, to be arrested, marginalized, persecuted for Christ? To abandon our comfort, to comfort the abandoned, to ignore the false prophets of this perverse culture and pick up His book and devour its wisdom and apply it to our lives, to give up our way for His way? <laughs> to be so transformed that somebody will enter into the story of our lives and they will look and say, what has happened here? To live and die in a new and radically transformed way? To give up the comfort and ease of building our lives on sand? To live and die on the rock of affliction and persecution for Christ? It is what Martin Luther King once called the fierce urgency of now. What hope is there for us when everything in us wants to run away, to comfort and not hardship, to self and not Him? I want to ask, what can we do? And the answer is a hard one, but here it is. Nothing. You can't do this for yourself. It's impossible. Let me say it again. I don't want anybody to misunderstand. This is impossible by yourself. Our hope centers on Christ. And He can do that. He will do that. He did do that. And in His strength, there is one thing we can do. We can fall on our faces and beg Him Beg Him without ceasing to give us the gift of faith. To enable us to see His wisdom and to follow Him, no matter what the cost. To submit to Him. Brothers and sisters, don't be fooled. I beg you, don't be fooled. This day, these words are recorded in eternity. He will answer your pleading. He is faithful to rescue us from ourselves. But only... 
when we are enabled, revived, and regenerated by the Holy Spirit, only when we move past the outward, superficial aspects of religion to the inward, deep, transformative belief of everything for Christ, then we will be free. We will truly be free and we will be on the easy road that Christ makes for His believers. Almighty God will free us from our prisons of sin and destruction and hypocrisy and take us to an eternal glory with Him. There will be no more tears, no more pain, no more death for all, all of those things, Revelations 21, 1-4 says, will have passed away. So what can I tell you? Well, the word that comes into my mind is run. Run to Christ. Run to the narrow gate and pound on it, pleading for the faith to truly believe before the Master shuts the door. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and it will be opened to you. So ask, seek, knock. He will be faithful to answer. And He will give you what you need freely. Luke 16 says we are to force our way into the kingdom. To have a holy violence in the sense of repenting of our sin. There is a sense, as I mentioned, of of desperation, of urgency here. And now, we know the truth. Beware the false prophets. Beware the wide, easy road. Beware the bad fruit. Beware the shifting sands. Beware the wide road to destruction. And then what all of us learn from the little ones here, our congregation is much older and it's a joy to hear the murmuring of children here. Jesus loves us, this I know. But it turns out, I think, that that was never the question. The question has always been, Do we love Him? And do we do so with no reserve, no regret, and no retreat? Does the reality of Christ's words change our hearts and minds? Will you see your life as a choice between the narrow or the wide gate, the hard, steep way or the wide, easy way? Will you courageously carry a a cross for Christ. And as we close here, can, can we like Paul earnestly say, the love of Christ compels me, he says. I mean, reach out for that word, compels me to no longer live for myself. The offer of salvation is free. Jesus, the narrow gate, will give it freely to all those who earnestly seek Him. So come to Him. For those of you that Don't yet know the riches of this. Don't delay another day. Pray for the faith needed to do so. He he waits and knocks on the door of each heart. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians admonishes us. And he says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Amen. Let's end in prayer. 
Lord Jesus, we leave now understanding differently what your kingdom is and how we get there. You have told us plainly. Help us all, Lord, to hear and do your will. And Lord, I I pray you will send your Holy Spirit to convict each of us, trouble us, afflict us, until we bend our knees and confess you. Lead us to the point where on that knee we can truly pray, I am yours. Use me as you will, Lord. I want to follow you and only you. Lead us, Lord. Teach what must be taught and strengthen us with the hope as we travel the hard road to you. Because you and only you, Lord God, are our rescuer, our savior, our deliverer. You are the only safe place upon which to build the house of our lives. Shelter us that we may fellowship with you forever and ever and ever. Amen. In the Gospel of Matthew, we have some instructions about the Lord's Supper. Matthew tells us that as Jesus and his disciples were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Uh, The way is hard, the way is difficult, and it is a sign of God's grace and love and mercy to us that He gives us help. He gives us tools such as the Lord's Supper. Uh, It points us to Christ and His body uh, given for us, His blood shed for us. Uh, It is a means by which we are to be not only reminded of these wonderful truths of the gospel of grace, but also encouraged as the Spirit takes what we're doing as we come in faith and strengthens us and helps us to go out and to believe uh, in the Lord Jesus and to serve Him well this week ahead. This table doesn't belong to Trinity Presbyterian Church. It doesn't belong to our denomination, the PCA. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in Him alone for your salvation, and you've connected yourself to one church, whether Trinity or another church, that believes God's Word is true and that the Gospel is by grace alone, then eat and drink and be reminded of the glory of the grace of the gospel and be encouraged as you know the Holy Spirit will be at work strengthening us and sending us out to believe and to trust in the Lord this week ahead. Let's pause for a moment and thank him for giving us this table. Our Father, we do thank you for the Lord's Supper. We pray that you would use it as a means of grace, that you would remind us of your grace, but also that you would strengthen us by your grace, that you would fill us with the truth, and that we would go out and be filled with joy and peace as a result. Would you do this, Father, for your glory's sake and also for the good of your people? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night on which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And after he had given thanks for it, he he gave it to his disciples as I ministering his name, give it to you. And he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As the trays uh, with the bread come around, you may remain seated and listen as I read to you from Isaiah and his prophecy as he spoke of the Lord Jesus and the one who was to come, the Redeemer, 
Listen to what Isaiah says. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you did not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. body of the Lord Jesus Christ given for you do this in remembrance of him after supper Jesus took a cup and gave the cup to his disciples and he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins drink from it all of you as the trays come around, you'll see that there are clear cups in the outer rings. <clears throat> Those contain wine, and the tinted cups in the middle contain grape juice. I would encourage you to meditate silently on the reality of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that makes His way easy, not because it is easy for us, but because it is easy for Him. It is His grace alone. <clears throat> 